and welcome to Carnival Personnel Sideshow. I'm Jacques. I'm Joe. And Joe, we we conned a real a real grown up into doing the show today. We uh, don't want to use the word con in this context. Uh, no, this maybe is... not. But 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 we better make it quick before they realize, like you know, who, who, who I am and, and and guilt by association, you and drop off. But Kaylee, uh, why don't you give a quick uh, introduction to yourself and what we're going to chat about today? Yeah, absolutely. My name is Kaylee Peterson. I am currently running for the U.S. House of Representatives in Idaho's first congressional district. So I'm ways out of uh, L.A. or Boston, but I am a first-time candidate. I came out of being a sophomore in college and a working-class mama, too, into a federal race. So it is my first campaign, but I think it technically makes me a politician. So It, 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 de- it definitely does. Uh, I guess the most obvious question is, why? I, I think for the same reasons it sounds like you started this podcast, because in 2016, I had been out of the political scene for almost a decade, and all of a sudden I realized we can't sit back anymore. We can't just uh, hope that things are going to get better. And so at the time I was pregnant, I had to wait a couple of years for uh, the pregnancy to become a child that could live outside of myself. But once my son was old enough, I went back to school. But then Idaho is unique. I mean, we've had a Republican supermajority for two decades. And when I found out that we had hundreds of races going unopposed in the state so that people in Idaho didn't even have a choice between two people, I decided that the whole reason I was going to school was to make a difference and now was the time. So I decided to run this year. Yes, it's very admirable uh, for you to be running for Congress in such, as a Democrat, we should mention, and in a highly Republican state. And I was, I, you know, did a quick, quick briefing for myself as to the demographic of Idaho. And yeah, that's uh, quite an uphill climb you have there. And just the, the, the history, the population, it's, um, I mean, it's, you know, mostly Republican. Um, it's about what, 2 million people, give or take? Just under. I know my district is around 955,000 people. Uh, I think we're at like right around 1.8 million. We were under the cutoff in this last census to add a third representative, but barely just under the cutoff. So it's two of us representing almost 2 million. Right. And I was actually, yeah, right. I was shocked to like see how many districts there were in Idaho because it's much larger than Massachusetts land mass wise. So I'm like, okay, let's see how many districts we got the one. And we have the two. And it's been like that since, I think, forever. It's basically Western and Northern Idaho is District 1, a first district. And the second district is Eastern Idaho, which is like mostly, like it contains most of Boise. Am I correct? Like that's Yeah, that's a, an interesting fact that I did not realize until I was running. I live in Ada County. I live in West Ada County, which is where Boise is. But Boise is in East Ada County. They have split Ada County in two. So our only inner city really in the state now belongs to the second congressional district, which is one of the most Republican rural areas that we have. Whereas West Ada, which is more Republican, goes off into my first district. Mm-hmm. And is, is, that a, is that one of those uh, gerrymandering things where they purposely did that just to kind of do away with the city vote? 
It's hard because Idaho is actually one of the few places that has a bipartisan redistricting committee. But I don't know exactly when Ada was redistrict and if we already had the bipartisan committee at that time. It is an interesting cut. I mean, it could be population wise. Boise is one of our only really heavy population centers. So they might have needed to put it into Eastern Idaho, but it's a lot easier to just say it was gerrymandered and be really frustrated with the other <laughs> side. It's uh, I, doing a little research, very little. Yeah, so I see it's 1.8 million people, but Idaho has grown by 17.3% since the last census. What do you think uh, that's attributed to? Because that's a pretty big jump. Oh, it's huge. And I think what it started as is we had this reputation for being one, the state is gorgeous. You can live in the inner city and walk up into the foothills and you can have streams, rock climbing, trails to go cycling on. I mean, you can drive up into the mountains for a night and go camping in some of the most scenic, idyllic places you can imagine. And at the time when our population spiked, our houses were incredibly affordable. You could go from California and then come in and buy a house for $200,000 in a gorgeous area. That is no longer the case, but our population, I think, still continues to rise because it's been seen as kind of the new place to get out of some of the inner cities where especially people on the right have uh, been frustrated with some of the more liberal policies and they tend to come here. <laughs> Oh, so, so, okay. So it's not one of those things where I, I had a, a, a friend of a friend who uh, ran for Congress in Georgia, uh, and this is the last election cycle. And what was interesting talking to her is I forget exactly what Georgia had done, what, what Kemp had done, the governor, but there was people talking about, hey, Marvel should be boycotted, boycotted. And she was saying no. I understand why people think that, but all those jobs are the people who have just moved here, who you want to move here. They're Democrats, they're liberal, they're in the arts, they're in entertainment, they're in the LGBT community. It's like, so boycotting the biggest growing industry in the state would hurt the people that you would want to help the most. But Idaho, it sounds like, you know, uh, we have our other podcast co-host Biff, we have a mutual friend who was one of those um, iron, behind the orange curtain, Orange County guys who brought his family to Utah to get away from California because of all the horrible liberal um, things like good school systems. And, <laughs> and, and, you know, in California, it's one of those awful places that actually has a surplus in their budget and now have to figure out how to give that money back to people. So, so I, I was hoping, because I always had this theory a few years back, I remember a couple election cycles ago, talking to somebody about, I don't think the, Democrat, the Democratic Party should spend money, let's say running people for Congress or, 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 or governor in Montana, because they're not gonna win. But instead, where that population is so small, can you incentivize people like me who work out of the house, move to Montana for a year, become a registered voter? Can The money that you would spend on that governor race, why don't you relocate 50,000 people who, as we found out for the pandemic, most people's jobs can be done at home and just flip a state that way? But I, Idaho, it sounds like it's going in the other direction. 
There's a couple things there. And uh, what a coincidence, because I'm very dear friends with a local comedy producer here in Boise. And one of the things we talk about all the time is if we really wanted to try and flip the state, liberals need to start moving to rural areas that kind of get so separated from kind of people living together who don't look or think like each other, which is what you find in a lot of cities. But one of the other issues is that we look at these red states and specifically in Idaho, and I always say I'm not running against Republicans because right now Republicans aren't really on the ballot in Idaho. We have a really big issue with actual white nationalism and Christian nationalism and actual neo-Nazi groups. So it's not even about trying to flip the state anymore. It's about trying to just protect the democratic ideals that we've all come to expect as American citizens. And it's interesting because I've been holding these Republican town halls where I ask voters across the aisle to come talk to me. I call it question the Democrat. So I tell all the Republicans in these rural areas, hey, just come here, ask me whatever questions you want. I'm an open book. And the discussions we're able to have, we're all concerned about the same thing. Uh, we're all concerned about the same economic issues and our policies align a lot closer than these people on the ballot who are pushing a much more extreme narrative and then calling themselves Republicans. So it's been it's been an interesting run. Yeah, I looked at your list of issues on your uh, campaign website and a lot of it, you know, is pretty much in line with what the Democratic Party is, you know, uh, concerned about, like the inflation in the economy and health care, access to health care and education. Um, although when I think of Idaho, I do kind of think or that those rural areas I do think of like the rise of white nationalism and militias. And funny, I saw that in my research, I saw that Idaho state legislation, the House in February recently, I guess, passed a bill to lift a ban on militia, privately owned militias. And so now it makes it even easier for anybody to just put together a band of patriots and you know arm themselves to the teeth without any you know retro you know any uh, uh um fear of you know legal retribution or anything like that and what do you think about that it has been eye-opening because i had never been to north idaho before i decided to run and one of my biggest priorities was really getting across the entirety of my district and getting to know these communities better and then I went up north and I saw the reality of what they're dealing with there. And one of the first things that I did that kind of gave me a reputation, they call me, uh, I have a nickname up north, the mom who fights Nazis. Uh -huh. <laughs> I went up north and there is a group called Panhandle Patriots. And you know, if Patriot is in the name that you have to be wary because they're all Patriots. It's Patriot Our Front. Our football team is called the New England Patriots. So yeah. Oof, <laughs> <oof>. yeah. <laughs> Tom Brady, I'm not yeah. going to say anymore. Right. <laughs> no, uh, and there's this group called the Panhandle Patriots. And back when we were dealing with the George Floyd protests, it went around online that bus fields of BLM and Antifa were coming to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho to basically burn the city to the ground. So what these Patriots did and these Proud Boys and Oath Keepers and Three Percenters and militia groups, they went and flocked to downtown Coeur d'Alene completely armed and they occupied the city for five days. 
So for five days, businesses closed their doors. LGBT community was afraid to come out of their homes. I mean, they occupied an entire city in Idaho. Now, every year, they celebrate the anniversary of this date with an event called Gundalane. Uh, instead of Coeur it's Gundalane. So one of the first things I did is I held a press conference and I went up and I held a press conference across from where they were holding the event. And it's the first time in my life I've seen truck convoys with white power flags flying off of their vehicles, driving around city blocks. And it was eye-opening. But I also stood there with a microphone and called out them, uh, each of them by name and what white nationalist groups they were associated with. And there was a sense of, a, it, that was probably one of the most satisfying things I've done on the campaign <laughs> so far, is being able to, to list the harms, economic and social, that they've created in the area. So. No, I, I, mean, I mean, you hear so many, you know, crazy Republicans complain about the COVID shutdowns, you know, but they shut things down just for five. I mean, small businesses to be shut for five days, you know, for, for that, it, you know, it's pretty horrible. And it's funny when you talk about trying, you know, I don't know how much longer anybody can even jokingly use the phrase reach across the aisle. You probably, when you think of Massachusetts, where Joe and I are, that it's a completely red, a blue state. And it's not. The further west you go, it's like any other, you know, the big cities are, are all blue, like the mayor of Boston and stuff like that. However, what's really interesting People are shocked to learn that three out of our last five governors have been Republican, including Mitch Romney. But the Republican governor we have now, when he first won election, it was like 52, 53 to 47 percent. When he ran a second time, he won like 61, 62 percent. His poll numbers went up. He's a very popular governor in a blue state where the state house is, is Democrat and our two senators are, are Democratic senators. He cannot run for a third term. He's been known by the GOP. We will not support you because he's not a Trumper. Uh, he shut the state down during COVID. Um, he is not an election denier. And they, they are willing to concede the state governorhood versus have somebody who won't tow. It's not a party line. This isn't, you know, I have issues with almost every Republican, whether it's a Mitt Romney or Reagan, but it's never been a visceral thing where you're dealing with absolute crazy people that you cannot have a civil conversation with. I mean... How would you deal going to work every day with a Marjorie Taylor Greene and a, a, a Boebert sitting across from you? Uh, you know, the salary in Congress is phenomenal, but I don't know if any amount of money makes working with, with Marjorie Taylor Greene worth it. And I will say that as publicly as humanly possible. I was asked once, because I talk a lot about being a bipartisan leader for Idahoans and reaching across the aisle. And I think it's because Idaho has so many moderate Republicans that don't realize they're now Democrats, according to their policy. And so the way we communicate our messages is incredibly important. But I was asked once at an event, how do you plan to work across the aisle with people like Marjorie Taylor Greene? And I said, there is a limit. I do not expect or will I ever 
work with somebody who's a white nationalist who has proposed hate, who has threatened the very stability of our democratic republic. Uh, those people don't deserve uh, bipartisan efforts. They don't deserve the professionalism that other people who are in office truly trying to represent the people in their country, uh, the people in their districts. So I do not expect to be working with Marjorie Taylor Greene. Hopefully, eventually she'll be censured and held accountable for her, her conduct while in office. But all we can do is really look for the other people who are trying to do the good work in office, who are, who are trying to get legislation through that actually addresses the issues that Americans are facing. Like, I don't know, insulin price caps. I thought that was pretty important for Americans, especially insulin was, is, was patented in 1923. So capitalism in America has had a hundred years to come up with an affordable solution and it just continues to get more unaffordable. So that's where the federal government needs to step in to save lives. You know, the person who invented insulin, Jewish person, by the way. So, hey, all you white nationalists. Anyways, secondly, do you know how much they sold the patent for? Wasn't it? It was really low. One dollar. One dollar. And because they wanted the world to have insulin. And this is the problem that you face. I don't. And I wish I had more optimism, but when you look at the votes just in the past month, I think, I don't know if the vote was zero or two of Republicans who voted to cap insulin at $35. It's the same thing. You have, I want to say, you have 16 Republican House people right now, all of which who voted against emergency funding from Florida. And, and I saw that you had this on one of your ads online. All these Republicans taking credit for the stuff they voted against. Like you said, you're tired of seeing people show up at ribbon cutting ceremonies for, oh, we got this funding for X, Y, and Z for Idaho. Isn't that great? And it's like, Jack Wagon, you voted, you specifically not only voted against it, Here's your speech on the floor saying how it was going to make the time-space continuum collapse on itself if this bill passes. And now you're taking the victory parade. The, the ad that I love that you had, it's you standing there in front of a podium. Flusher, is that, a, am I pronouncing Russ Flusher's name correctly? Vulture. It's Vulture. I thought was brilliant. You started to bait potato. So yes. with, <laughs> that reminds me of a sketch we did back in the old days where I would play a physicist on a panel show and I debated a rerun of Alice, which is basically <laughs> kind of what is being this is being reduced to. And it's, it's unfortunate because you would think our political debates in re, like deep red states like Idaho, where it's mostly uncontested, are de debates like a thing of the past or is this sort of like a new thing that Fulcher is imposing where he thinks, eh, I don't need to debate against this up and comer because, you know, I don't need to, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, get the votes that I need. You know, he's trying to play it off that way. I am really excited because he finally came out and addressed me about the debate issue. And he said, I refuse to campaign for my opposition. She wants attention and she wants to use the debates to get more attention. And I refuse to help her. 
And it's been fantastic because none of the Republicans in the state, whether they have experienced opponents or not, are none of them are debating. And it's something we've seen over the last real 10 years, kind of since Trump, that we're seeing kind of the GOP step away from the debate podium. And they're trying to say, we don't need to, people know our records, but that's not the point. The point is that you get on stage and you answer the questions for the people who elect you and pay your salary. And so we're trying to bring debate to the forefront because it's one of the few ways left that most Americans can engage and actually see their representative on screen talking about the issues that affect them. I think debates are underrated and I'm really hoping we can bring them back and the expectation because people deserve it. I think the only way they get brought back is if they're legislated to to be brought back that you have to because to be honest there is no upside for Russ debating somebody who is educated who's not just seeking headlines because most of the people and I mean this I would like to tell you what policy disagreements I have with a Marjorie Taylor Greene or Lori Boebert, but they're not bringing policy to the floor. They are all about the next tweet, and, it, and it's all, you know, Donnie Four Scoops making. It's all about headlines. They're not interested in legislating. They're not interested in having an agenda. How can you have, why would he come and debate you if he has nothing to offer the people? How do you stand there and say, this is why I voted against insulin. This is why I voted against infrastructure. This is why I voted against healthcare. You're looking at seniors and saying, yes, the leaders of our party has said we're taking away social security. I'm guessing the TV stations out of Boise are Sinclair owned stations that you probably don't get a fair shake on. Uh, you know, it's interesting in Boise, we really struggled at the beginning, but I think I came out of obscurity. I don't think anybody thought I was gonna run a real full campaign when I first started. And so the media had no real reason to pay attention to me. We are actually seeing though that the press is starting to pick me up quite a bit more. Uh, and it was funny because Russ kind of called me out and said she wants attention and we're building a TikTok social media video. Uh, we've gotten dozens of articles, letters to the editor. I've been interviewed with television stations. So while I was afraid that was gonna be an issue, our press has been extremely friendly. And at least I can say that they've been very fair. Whenever Falcher is brought up, I, I have the option to respond. So that's been really nice. Yeah, why would Falcher want to actually have a debate with somebody um, on policy when he can preach to the choir, quite literally, because I saw that video or the excerpts of the video that you posted on your Twitter account of, of Russ Fulcher uh, speaking to some sort of a, uh, like a fellowship or a Christian fellowship or a congregation, basically telling them, you know what, the media is lying to you. You got to stop watching ABC, CBS, Fox. You know what you should watch though? One American News and Newsmax. And I, I was I was floored. I was absolutely floored that, you know, he's actually, you know, Fox was too progressive for him. Fox. <laughs> so, I mean, this is a real this is a real piece of work that you're running up against. But I mean, again, I don't know how many Idahoans think the way he does or attend the same types of churches that he does or pretends to attend. I don't know. I, I just, you know, I don't know how deep that sentiment 
runs in the populace of Iowa. It's, it's interesting because I really thought I was more outnumbered than I was because in Idaho specifically, the people we hear from, the people we're, that are making the most noise tend to be the Christian nationalist, extreme right kind of MAGA crowd. But then as I've campaigned, I'm realizing far more of us are just regular people who disagree on whether or not there should be fracking or whether or not, you know, we should give tax breaks to corporations to incentivize uh, economic strength. That's the majority of the people that I'm meeting. And it gives me a lot of hope that and our poll numbers. And it's different. I will say North Idaho has a lot further to go than uh, south, my, the south, south of the first district. But there are more of us than I think Idahoans realize. We just went door knocking in this little area in this very red district and we're door knocking and every single person was afraid to put out a yard sign. They were like, nope, I can't. I don't want to put a target on my back. Mm. But then by the time we were finished with the neighborhood, we realized all but two of these houses were registered Democrats. So there are so many of us that are just afraid to come out and talk about our opinion, to go public because we're getting literal death threats. People show up at the polls with a gun and then it turns out that the oversight committee is infiltrated by the same militia as the, the guy at the polls. There's real intimidation issues. Right, and in a, in a state like that where it's an open carry state, it's, it's I, I, I was just having a conversation with a friend of mine who, you know, the lockdown in, in Minnesota, when they tried to kidnap the governor, all these people just driving around with their weapons of war, and it, it, it is crazy. Now, you you came out of school to run. So you're on campus. You're around the younger demographic. Is there hope? Is the, is the college campuses, you know, little little recruitments for like Hitler youth? Or is it, are the college campuses in Boise places where you can have discussion and debate and ideas outside of the OAN bubbles that people find themselves in? It was such a breath of fresh air because before I started school, I was a stay at home mom with my kids and in a very, very red district and it can be extremely isolating. And then I went to college and I really think Gen Z is going to bring us through the apocalypse and potentially kind of right the ship because I, I mean, the likelihood when you're raised Republican that you stay Republican is pretty high. But when you go onto college campuses and you experience new people and new ideas and you kind of learn to criticize your own belief system and why you think the way you do, it, it not a lot of people leave college following OAN and what Fulcher is saying and what Trump is telling Americans, no matter where they land on the spectrum. I really think that Gen Z is gonna gonna kind of write what's going on right now, as long as we don't take it too far. How do you, how is the the Roe versus Wade decision weighing in in Idaho? Have you noticed it up the registration for for women voters and up the registration for people who do not want to be living in the prequel of The Handmaid's Tales? Oh yeah, there are Gilead signs around Idaho because my opponent specifically has proposed some of the strictest legislation in the country and not saying something right now. Uh, he just took a picture in front of Planned Parenthood celebrating the closure of Boise's only Planned Parenthood. I mean, he is 
as extreme on the, what they call pro-life, and we say forced pregnancy side of the issue as you can be. And what we're seeing is that despite how red we are as a state, the majority of, of Idahoans still are pro-choice. They still do not believe that the government should be making that decision. And you'll see some disagreements on where we should legislate, if there should be a 15-week abortion ban, but, uh, I am sure that 75% of Idahoans really disagree with our trigger law, which is uh, on par with what Texas tried to do. And uh, is there like a, a, a concerted effort from a lot of these right-wing groups to squash the absentee ballot initiative where, or how, what is absentee balloting, balloting like in Idaho? Is there a big push or is it more, I mean, I can imagine because everything is, in my mind, I, I picture like one house for, you know, every 20 square miles, but I know that's not the case, but I'm, I would imagine that absentee balloting or mail-in balloting would be like a, a godsend for a lot of voters so that they don't have to wait in a long line at the one polling place within a 10 mile radius to on election day for, you know, the one day that they get to vote. I guess my question is, do you think are the laws there are like a little bit more constricted to have that kind of voting than say other states? They're trying, uh, they are certainly trying. Surprisingly, Idaho has had no excuse absentee ballot voting since 1970. So we have been extremely accepting of absentee ballots, which to me, it's hilarious because in the 2020 election, Russ Fulcher came out so hard on how absentee ballots would cause fraud and election steal. And I'm like, this has been a thing in Idaho forever. Like this isn't a new thing for us. They have, however, come after different voting rights. Um, there was legislation that they tried to pass to make it so you had to have a lease or a mortgage to vote. I mean, they are trying to limit and restrict voting in so many different ways to really hurt low-income communities, hurt vulnerable communities. They're coming for us. And that's not an alarmist statement. That's what we see in our state legislature right now. So if you're renting a house and your husband is on, is the name on the lease and your name isn't on the lease, you, they're saying- First, why? I mean, what the, hey. <laughs> well, second. I, I mean, but, but this, is, this is literally, that's the reason like women weren't able to vote for the first 200 years of this country. You had to be a landowner to be able to vote and women weren't able to own land. And then it's brilliant in their evil. I mean, I, I wish as a person who likes to think of themselves as a creative person, I wish I was creative enough to come up with a law that says, oh, we're going to make it illegal to give people in line water who are standing in line for eight hours. What kind of, honestly, Stephen King twisted mind comes up with something like that. But in Idaho, it's not twisted. They said, oh, let's see what the laws were 200 years ago. And let's find that way to keep people from being able to vote. Everything that happened in 2020 that they tried to pull off state by state by state, they're making legal. Oh, it, it gets even worse because, Joe, the, the church that you mentioned, Candlelight Fellowship, 
that I have a video of Russ Fulcher giving one of the most upsetting sermons I have ever listened to. That was not a fun night, by the way, of research for me. Uh, it's an hour long. That church is home to some of these neo-Nazi affiliated political leaders in the area. It is home to the Panhandle Patriots and it is also a polling location. So now everyone who lives in Coeur d'Alene in that district has to go to a church that has threatened lives, that has threatened people, the LGBTQIA community. That is where they need to go to vote. And so it's, it's insidious the way that they have controlled our voting rights in a way that makes it lean towards them. And honestly, I get why people think it's hopeless in this state. And they've done a very good job at keeping people at home or driving people out that they don't want here. And the hope is, is that we can remind Idahoans that they're still a minority. They're vocal and they've infiltrated our school boards and our library boards, but they are still the minority. So if we come out, if we get engaged, if we hold them accountable, then there's hope, if not in this election, in 2024. And so we're hoping to get people to the polls despite the threats of intimidation. Wish that we have enough people in this election, you know, in the House and the Senate to pass voting rights, to standardize voting rights, to standardize poll watching, to standardize all this stuff. So it's not a state by state because Idaho, it is. It's, it just sounds like the, 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 the more people that you're reaching out to who have sane ideas that you can have conversations with are going to be scared away by the lunatic fringe. And if a, the whole thing about separation of church and state, but yet this church is a polling station, uh, you know that. Well, no, you don't understand because Ross Fulcher made it clear that the separation of church and state isn't to keep the church out of the states to keep the state out of the church. You got it all mixed up. Oh, oh, he right. said that. He mm. said that. And I, I just want to scream at the video. It's in the First Amendment. It's the first line of the First Amendment of our Constitution. And it is outrageous what he's able to tell people, especially from the pulpit. So, you know, if anybody listening wants to report to the IRS, there are videos <laughs> on my Twitter with evidence of politicizing from a pulpit. I don't know if that's an option for everybody, but uh, it's something that I think people should be doing more of to hold nonprofits accountable for electioneering. You know, the Catholic Church, I think, is the largest landholder, you know, one of the largest landholders in this country. They pay no taxes, but yet get to get involved in all of the, and, and every church is like that. It's not, I'm signaling them out, but, it, but it's true. It's, and, and that party, the Republican party, more by more, you go down it and they, they are preaching from, from the pulpit, all these draconian things. And it's like, you know, you already said, it's like, you know, forced pregnancy people who from the pulpit are also preaching guns and, and I don't know, is Idaho a, a, a death penalty state? It is. It is. I mean, it's not Texas, but uh, we Nobody are. is. No, no. <laughs> but, but, but I always love those people who it's like, you know, we're pro-life, but for the death penalty. We're pro-life, but we're for automatic rifles. And it's funny that you reference the First Amendment because I, 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 in my heart of hearts, believe that the Republican Party think the 
the the Bill of Rights is one amendment. The, the Second Amendment is the only one in there that that all the ones before the one before that and the you know thirty of them after that don't count. That it's just about that because you can't have same conversations with people who say these. Uh, so you, so you're a mom of two. When when you you know look at your children, uh, how are the schools here? Are you afraid or is there a concern about? Uh, what's not being taught in school and, and what your the books that your children can't have and how the history you're not legally allowed in some states to teach history because you can't use words like slave anymore you can't use words like you know well I guess that's the big one but you know all the books out there that are being pulled and it seems like Idaho is you know almost ground zero for good old-fashioned book burnings Oh, absolutely. Uh, we are, I believe it's 51st in the country for per, per pupil spending, um, which means we're actually behind Puerto Rico, I believe, <laughs> for how much we spend on students. And it's incredibly frustrating because our governor has been touting this huge billion dollar surplus that our state has. But it actually took a, a nonprofit here, Reclaim Idaho, to, to create a ballot initiative to get over 100,000 signatures from every district in our state to get a $400 million investment into our public schools. We have teachers who are fleeing the state because they make, I think, $30,000 a year. They make nothing. And then during COVID, I know my daughter's teacher lost her fiance to COVID and then had to continue working because they were so short staffed that they didn't know what to do. So our school systems were putting this huge burden on these teachers who make nothing, who have to work two jobs to survive. And then we're taking away any possible curriculum or joy that they could be putting into these classrooms by getting creative and talking about socio-emotional learning. And it is uh, really, really worrying that not only are we gonna have students who need education to have any sense of stability in their lives, but also what are we gonna do without qualified teachers? I mean, Florida just made it so that anybody could come off the streets basically. They got rid of the qualifications for teachers to try and fill those job positions. And I think oh, wow. Idaho is gonna come in quickly for that. Well, that that's the thing. As soon as one state does something like, you know, Florida, the governor of Florida, you know, Abbott and DeSantis, are kind of mad at each other because uh, Abbott wanted to fly people to the other states. And, you know, DeSantis is getting all that credit for sending the people from Texas to Florida to Martha's Vineyard. No, in Florida, it's exactly what you, you're saying. Uh, two things. Basically, you can take a six-week crash course and be a teacher. You don't have to have, uh, you don't have to have a bachelor's degree. You don't have to have an associate's degree. You can come in, take a six-week course, boom, you're a teacher. Or you can have that waived if you have military service. So military service of any kind qualifies you. And I heard a great super, a great principal of an uh, elementary school, I think it was in Fort Lauderdale, and she was talking that this woman came in who is very sweet and really is doing it because she wants to help. Uh, she's been a waitress her whole life, no background in it, took the six-week course, really is doing it because she wants to fill this need. 
but came to the principal's office, closed the door and said, what is phonics? And the principal said, I wish she was the only one. And, 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 and the principal was being very nice. She's like, she wants to do this. She wants to be good at it. She wants to get better. We have a such a need, I can't say, no, you can't be a second grade teacher if I have to tell you what phonics is. You know, but again, it's it gets down to the last guy who was in office is a day trader. It's all about I'm buying this house today at nine in the morning and I'm going to flip it by three in the afternoon. It's day trading versus, oh, we give out all these. I think it's like the M1N1 visas to fill the higher tech jobs because we're not cranking out enough educated people to do this. And if Idaho has a teacher shortage and it's going to look, why would you come out of college and teach for $30,000? And why would you come out of college and teach for $30,000? Even if you wanted to, if you're told you can't teach this, you can't teach it. You can't say gay. You can't do this. Um, where where are the Idaho kids? Where are your kids going to be in 20 years education-wise? Or or you say you have a two-year-old in 16 years when they're applying to college and they're competing against people from states that spent money on education. 51st, that's stunning. It <coughs> is incredibly frustrating because not only do we not have the money to invest in these schools, Reclaim Idaho created this ballot initiative. Uh, the state tried to actually take ballot initiatives away from us after we got Medicaid expansion with initiatives. And the Supreme Court was like, well, that's actually uh, unconstitutional. So we got to keep ballot initiatives. So Reclaim Idaho passed this incredible education uh, investment, which was closing some of the tax loopholes that the top tax bracket had. Because in Idaho, if anything, if you're in that top tax bracket, you get you're you're taxed nothing. There's no real accountability for you. So they tried to close that hole to invest in education. When it was obvious that this was going to pass, the state legislature got together and created a new bill that invested 400 million in education but it was a flat tax across everyone instead of the top tax bracket. And it comes into effect the day after our ballot initiative would have. So it, it, it completely nullified the ballot initiative that the people had done. So that's the level that we are dealing with in Idaho. Not only do we not have childcare, not only do we not have preschool, uh, one of the things that made me run is I was watching the state legislature debate on a $6 million investment into preschool in Idaho. And I kid you not, a representative from Riggins got up and said anything that would persuade the woman to leave her family and leave the home is not something we need for Idaho. And they turned down that $6 million in funding. So we let me, let me guess. Uh, the person who said that was not a woman. No, shocking. Wow, <laughs> wow. But but uh, I'm guessing that I'm I'm guessing that person was probably Asian or black. Oh nope. Wait, shockingly not. No. Wow, a white. But but he was probably 23, 24, a younger person. No, weirdly enough, he was wow. not. He was a older middle-aged white man from a rural area. 
you know probably I, doesn't have a penny to his name though you know probably just making, <laughs> right probably just scraping by paycheck, paycheck you know you're working i mean i because you know joe and i are are, are middle class middle-aged white guys i i so want to wear a shirt that just says i'm not that kind of middle-aged white you know <laughs> but no the whole fact that all these decisions and the draconian things that people are flat out saying it, it's scary so how can people help? Are you go? Do you have people phone banking for you? Can people from other states? Because that's what I've done in the last couple of election cycles. Whether it's been somebody in Georgia, uh, you know, candidate in Texas, I've chopped out a couple hours here and there the weeks leading up to the election and phone bank. Do you have ways that people can reach out and phone bank for you? Tell tell us how we can evolve. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, I'm a politician, so. First things first, money always helps. <laughs> like Russ Falcher has hundreds of thousands of dollars that he gets from his Freedom Pack because he's in the Freedom Caucus with Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Bobart. He gets a ton of money from that group. Uh, money helps. $5, $10, because it helps pay for mailers. It helps pay for my ability to get across the state. That's why politicians are always asking for money. But... Phone banking helps tremendously because the likelihood of somebody going to the polls on election day just because they feel like they want to is a lot less likely than somebody calling them with all the information they need and giving them that little push that they they need to get out and get to the polls. So we have a phone bank every Wednesday until the election. Uh, it's a virtual phone bank. It's on Zoom. We all hang out and make calls with each other. We make faces when we have bad calls. We celebrate on the screen together when we have good calls. And then we share stories afterwards. You can find that on my Twitter, on my Facebook, or you can email our volunteer coordinator. It's really easy. It's just carol, C-A-R-O-L, at kayleeforcongress.com. And she can get you hooked up as well with all of our different efforts. But really sharing our social media, helping with visibility, with our messaging, and paying attention. Because so much of this has happened because all of us were tired and angry and frustrated with the process. And we were too tired to deal with any of it. And they snuck in. They really did. They snuck in while we weren't watching and now we're dealing with the fallout of that. So getting involved, pay attention to your school board races, your library races, your local, state and federal, so that we can get some of these uh, atrocities out of office because you're in the middle of a campaign we will let you go we will put that out there i will keep liking and the only thing i'm on is twitter um i don't even think joe's on facebook anymore but i will have my wife who's active on facebook because she does a lot of dog rescue stuff so i'll turn her dog rescue attention onto this for the next like six weeks um joe you got any any other statements questions thoughts uh, I just want to plug uh, Kaylee's social media from memory, I believe. It's Kaylee, K-A-Y-L-E-E-4, number four, Congress on, I guess, is that all social media platforms? Yeah, on Twitter, uh, they wouldn't let me use that many letters. So it is Kaylee, the number four, Congress. Mm -hmm. Everything else, my emails, my websites, my Facebook, my TikTok is spelled out F-O-R. But there are no other Kayleys running for Congress. So if you Google me, uh, all of it comes up pretty easily. Just K-A-Y-L-E-E. -E. 
break. I, I truly, truly cannot say, you know, thank you enough. Uh, I will. And, and I work out of the house. And so I will try to phone bake on Wednesdays for you. It, it was, it was a pretty interesting experience. Uh, you know, when I've done it in the past and like you said, it's about this election cycle. And I want to say the next one, I just don't know if this is the last election cycle we have. I, I hate to think about that. We have that. to think that every election cycle is the last election cycle or could be the last election. Uh, but this is the one they're flat out saying it is. This is the one they're like, yeah, if once we're, I mean, the fact that Clarence Thomas hasn't recused himself for a, a, a court case that's coming in front of him that his wife is a defended in you know yeah the rules don't apply anymore so hopefully we can because i have i've driven through idaho and, and and stopped off in boise a number of times i used to have a friend who lived in montana and i went back and forth i don't know if mine or joe's trip if we went through idaho on our we drove across country you know many years ago and it is it's a beautiful state you know i i think what i know most about boise is the football team plays on a field that's blue uh, the, any sports person like that's the first thing that they think of oh that's the college team that field is blue uh, and, and and I think you're right I you know I, I hope you're right that that the loud minority is the one calling the shots but having been in school recently and stuff that you think there's even with people flocking there to get away from California which is just insane that that there's hope for us so that that's great uh, I would just ask everyone to vote like their life depends on it, because whether or not this is our last election or not, we need to vote like it is, because uh, if we don't come out, it might be the last time certain people are eligible to vote. It might be the last time that women have fundamental rights and autonomy in this country. There are several ways of life that we have become accustomed to that will go away if we do not show up on November 8th. And a lot of people get upset with the parties. I know a lot of people go Democrats and Republicans. They're both horrible. But being a first time candidate, I will say they're all just people. We are all just individuals. And so I, I implore people to get involved and to look into each race carefully because there are some really amazing people that want to want to fight for your freedoms. All but Ted Cruz. Let's just, I think we can all agree that maybe <laughs> oh. Ted Cruz is an exception to the rule. But no, wait, 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 if Idaho had a power outage, would you go to Mexico? I, I think that was the first question I want. Would you run to, to a Yeah, exactly. Um, Kaylee, seriously. I don't have my passport. I'm staying oh. in Idaho. Oh, no. <laughs> all right. Well, well, yeah, honestly, your story is amazing. Um, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, we will reach out to our friends and say, chip in when you can. If you can phone bank, please do. Email Carol and see if there's other ways you can help. Um, you're, you're awesome. You are a superhero without a cape. And uh, we thank you for coming on. And keep fighting Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> and he's being serious. Yes. <laughs> you know, that, that's not hyperbole. Thank you we're for fighting laughing, Nazis. We're literal Nazis. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, unbelievable. It's like we're in an Indiana Jones movie all of a sudden where there's Nazis all around us and we have to get rid of them. So, I just yes. need the Ark. If anyone can find it, we'll <laughs> okay, be fine. Okay. <laughs> oh, thank you, gentlemen, thank you. so much. Have an amazing night.